Welcome to episode 117 of Kentucky History and Haunts. Today is Derby Day. I'm recording this on the morning of the Derby, and I live very close to Bowman Field, which if you're not familiar, I'm sure most of you are, but if you're not, it is a small airport where all the private planes fly in for the Derby. And as you can imagine, it's a busy morning. Uh, people are still getting dropped off last minute to head into Churchill Downs. So you might hear some planes in the background today. Uh, nothing I can do about that. But um, anyway, uh, I've been doing some stories that are older. I've been doing a lot of like 19th and early 20th century stuff. So today I'm doing something a little more modern. And mostly I'm talking about stuff that takes place in Tennessee, but it does have connections to Kentucky. Um, so this is a little bit of a Kentucky history and haunts road trip episode is what I call these. Um, but I bet you all have at least heard about this guy once or twice in the news. I'm going to talk about Dr. Charles Harlan. Um, and I'm just going to kind of go through his career and the reason I'm doing this now is because he popped up recently, very recently, in the news again. Um, I saw a Courier-Journal article, and I thought, you know what? I think this could make for an interesting story. So that's what I'm doing. I'm going to tell you today about the career of Dr. Charles Harlan. Listener warning, this episode will include discussion of sexual harassment in the workplace as well as murder and violence against children. So if you don't want to hear about that stuff today, let's go ahead and skip this episode for now. Okay, here we go. Charles Harlan was born in Columbia, Missouri in November 1947. He graduated from the University of Tennessee at Knoxville in 1968, and then he earned his medical degree from the UT Medical School in Memphis in 1972. In 77, he went to work at the Shelby County, Tennessee Medical Examiner's Office, and that year he assisted with the autopsy of Elvis Presley. He and his staff performed autopsies for more than half of Tennessee's 95 counties in the city morgue in Nashville. In 1993, so yeah, I'm skipping a, a while, you know, for a decade, things were very smooth sailing for Dr. Harlan. But in 1993, the mayor demoted Dr. Harlan from his position of Metro Medical Examiner. And this was for two reasons. One was that they were concerned about his, quote, management of the office. And the other was allegations of sexual harassment that had been made against him. By that time, he had been working for Metro for a decade, and after he was demoted, he opened his own private practice in East Nashville, where he continued to perform autopsies. Working for Dr. Harlan as a woman was not a great gig. I'll read from the Tennessean. Quote, Harlan's forced resignation as Metro medical examiner came a few weeks after three women he had fired as clerical workers in the office sued him for sexual harassment. They asked for a million dollars each. The women said he called them into his private office for unwanted hugs, talked to them about his sexual fantasies and his crush on another female employee, and made them watch a sexual stabbing scene from the movie Basic Instinct. Keep in mind, Dr. Harlan is married at this time. Uh, the lawsuit went to trial in 1999. 
the jury ruled that under state law, these things Dr. Harlan did to these women were not considered forms of sexual harassment. In fact, the jury deliberated for just 10 minutes before finding him not guilty. Harlan's attorney closed by explaining to everybody that Harlan was just a, quote, huggy, touchy, feeling man. Harlan also broke out into tears on the witness stand over how stressful his job could be. Metro ended up settling with each of the women separately, giving them $15,000 per woman. Aside from all this, um, Dr. Harlan was Tennessee's chief medical examiner from 1989 to 1995. His contract was not renewed after that, and the state health commissioner actually had to sue Dr. Harlan two years after that for his continued use of the title after he'd been stripped of it. So yeah, he, he was not renewed as the chief medical examiner for the state, but he did continue to tell people that he was. Harlan actually got barred from entering the state crime lab after he was demoted. He wasn't even allowed to come drop off evidence. Um, and that was because they were getting complaints from, guess what? female employees. Uh, They were saying that his behavior and conversations were unprofessional, making them uncomfortable. So uh, yeah, he wasn't even allowed to enter the state crime lab. So even after losing his title and his position and getting barred from the crime lab, he was still performing a ton of autopsies for the state of Tennessee, which meant he was also testifying in court all the time. Um, It's really interesting. So many things happened even before he was fired from that position, but because they hadn't all surfaced yet, nobody really understood just how bad of a job this guy had been doing. Um, So... Please understand that if I went through a comprehensive list of both alleged and proven things that this man did that were either unethical, illegal, or unprofessional in some capacity, or just all the mistakes he made, we would be here all day. So instead, I have picked out things that were either A, in the papers a lot, or B, kind of missed by the mainstream media that I picked up in Um, some reports I found in files from the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. So we'll start back in the 90s with the murder of Karen Anderson. And I actually don't want to get into this in too much detail because I might make it into a future episode. And the details are a little complicated. But uh, the gist of it is that in 1993, Karen Anderson was dating and possibly engaged to a man named Max Royball. And in March of that year, Max took out a life insurance policy that would pay $86,000 upon her death. And a friend of Max Roybal's testified that during a Christmas party in 1993, Max told him how unhappy he was in his relationship and that maybe he should just whack her. That's a quote, whack her. So later, Karen Anderson was found dead in her mother's home. And Dr. Charles Harlan performed the autopsy soon after. He said that Karen's death was natural, no foul play. He said she could have had a seizure. Uh, She had cerebral palsy and walked with a cane, but witnesses testified she had no history of seizures. So they went to trial, and Max Roybal was acquitted. The jury only deliberated for an hour. 
but a lot of people felt like this man had gotten away with murder because there's more to the story. So the prosecution had two pathologists testify that Karen's cause of death was not anything natural. Um, she had suffered blunt force trauma to the brain. Dr. Levy, one of the pathologists for the prosecution, said, you know, this could have been an accidental death, and it certainly could have been foul play, but it was not natural. Something or someone hit this girl in the head. A third pathologist, Dr. Nichols from Louisville, felt the cause of death should be listed as undetermined, but not natural. The other big red flag that this uh, may not have been an accident was that Mr. Roybal was also facing murder charges for the death of his estranged wife, who had disappeared under suspicious circumstances and whose jawbone had been mailed anonymously to a TV station in Hopkinsville. This is important because uh, he had also taken out a $150,000 life insurance policy on this wife of his, and in order to collect on that policy, it would have to be proven that his wife was dead. Eventually, Roybal was acquitted in both cases. That's all I'm going to say about that case because I do think it would make a good episode. But the point here was that several pathologists adamantly disagreed with Harlan's finding in this case. And then unbiased parties continued to point out the flaws in that autopsy for a long time after the case was over. So um, we're in the mid-1990s. Like I said, Dr. Harlan was demoted and... I want to read you uh, parts of some of the reports that will explain a little more about how that went down. So this is from a collection of documents uh, that I found that had been put together by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations. And this one I'm going to read now is from an interview with Dr. Julia Gooden, who was the Davidson County Medical Examiner. And it's talking about how um, when Dr. Gooden took over as medical examiner in Davidson County, she prohibited the conducting of private autopsies. Um, at the time, Dr. Harlan worked under her. And so here's what the document says. Quote, Dr. Harlan has violated internal rules. Uh, she's been told by a source that Dr. Harlan has recently performed private autopsies without her permission. Dr. Gooden stated that she does not think Dr. Harlan should be able to do any autopsies whatsoever. So that was from uh, 1994. I'm trying to keep this chronological, but this next one is a little crazy. It's also from 1994, and it's from the TBI Crime Lab. And so, you know, um, it's going to talk about Stan Carney, who will come up a couple times. Stan Carney was kind of... Dr. Harlan's right-hand man, and um, so, all right, here this goes, quote, on February 9th, 1994, at 3.35 p.m., Dr. Charles Harlan and Stan Carney were at the TBI crime lab. They were submitting samples from autopsies that Dr. Harlan had performed. Dr. Harlan was acting strangely. He was extremely loud and was swinging his arms and saying how wonderful he was. He returned to his vehicle. He had forgotten hair samples. When he returned to the building, he had his hand over his head, acting as if he was dancing. 
And then this same letter goes on to say, quote, while Mr. Carney was submitting the samples, Dr. Harlan was standing behind him with his arms around Mr. Carney's waist, leaning around Mr. Carney's shoulders, talking to him. Dr. Harlan would not submit the bullets from the Clarksville Taco Bell case. He stated to Mr. Carney they were not ready, although he had them with him. So just a, a small sample of the odd kind of eccentric behavior that um, is used to describe him over and over again throughout the years. And then the very next year, 1995, there's a letter from the Department of Labor Division of Occupational Safety and Health. So it's addressed to Dr. Harlan, and it says, look, buddy, we've gotten a huge list of complaints about how you're operating your private office. So here were some of the complaints. One, lack of personal protective equipment available for personnel removing bodies. Two, bodies released without identification tags as to the names or infectious nature. Three, autopsied bodies not placed in leak-proof bags. Body fluid spills are common. Four, unsanitary conditions. Five, dead mice on the floor. Six, dead deer stored with dead human remains. The next item I have here is uh, still from 1995. There is a complaint that Dr. Harlan's assistant, Stan Carney, is actually performing the autopsies in his office. This is a problem because as far as I know, Carney is not a medical examiner. He's not a forensic pathologist. As far as I can tell, he's not a doctor of any kind. Um, every article written about them refers to him as Mr. Carney, um, Dr. Harlan's assistant or employee, never Dr. Carney. I saw one article that said he was training to become an EMT. Um, no, he was an EMT training to become a paramedic. But still, that's not the same as being qualified to be a medical examiner. So, uh, yeah, that was a problem. And so I'll read you something here. And uh, it's going to, this is Kathy Rausch, and Kathy Rausch is someone who had been trained by Dr. Harlan and sometimes assisted his autopsies, but as an unpaid volunteer, uh, never as an employee. He didn't pay her. Quote, Rausch said that Harlan permitted Stan Carney to actually perform complete autopsies. So he, he let him do every bit of, a bit of the work. And then the allegation is that Dr. Harlan would sign off on the autopsy report at the end. To this allegation, Harlan said, no, 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 Carney, he doesn't do that, but he does prep the bodies for me. He does assist in the processing of tissues, and he does suture the body when I'm finished. Oh, and if I'm not around, I do let him cut open a body and eviscerate the organs, but only so that he can bring me the organs so I can examine them. So, a little murky there. Kathy Rausch also said that there was a time when Dr. Harlan autopsied a baby, and then when a second autopsy was called for, he told Kathy Rausch that he was going to withhold all of his findings, his documents, photographs, everything relating to the case, uh, because he was offended that they were questioning, you know, his ability to do the autopsy. So yeah, he was going to withhold all of his findings, which is, um, you could say that's unprofessional, right? at the least. 
So that brings us to the Lachelle Phelps case in June of 1995. Um, this is a sad one. This involves a baby. So if you need to skip forward a little bit, you can do that. On the morning of June 17th, 1995, 25-day-old Lachelle Phelps suffered an injury to her head and passed away a few hours later. Her dad, Cedric Phelps, said that he woke up around 7 a.m., noticed Lachelle was pale and turning blue, and he called 911. By the time they got there, she had no pulse and wasn't breathing. She was taken to the ER. Dr. Scott Rice tried to resuscitate her, but she passed away at 8.05 a.m. Dr. Rice noticed swelling on the right side of her head. He ordered x-rays, which revealed a badly fractured skull, so he ordered additional x-rays on the rest of her body and found additional injuries. He would later testify that because of the nature of these injuries, they appeared intentional and not accidental. 15 hours later, so 15 hours after she was pronounced dead, Dr. Harlan finished her autopsy. He agreed there was major blunt force trauma to the head, which caused her death. However, he stated the injury appeared accidental. Luckily, they got another opinion. Again, this was Dr. Nichols from Louisville. I, I mentioned him before. And Dr. Nichols said there was nothing accidental about this death. Um, to put in perspective, when Lachelle Phelps was exhumed and re-examined, Dr. Nichols found two separate skull fractures, two fractured ribs, a fractured humerus, a periosteal hemorrhage on the right radius, and discoloration of the outer membrane of the left tibia. Quote, with the exception of the last listed injury, which Dr. Nichols described as a therapeutic injury from the insertion of a needle into the bone, Dr. Nichols opined that all of these injuries were inflicted rather than accidental, thus clearly indicating child abuse. The point being here that what Dr. Harlan deemed accidental was pretty clearly a case of child abuse, which even the first doctor, the ER doctor, had kind of indicated with his findings. Three additional doctors looked at everything in this case and agreed it was clear that someone beat this child in the head multiple times, and that's why she died. So I, uh, there's a letter pertaining to this case written by Dr. Nichols, and it starts out, quote, This letter is written to you as the result of gross discrepancies between the results of the first postmortem examination and the second. The discrepancies include failure of diagnosis and incorrect assessment of manner of death. It goes on, quote, multiple rib fractures were identified to be present in the second examination. I have no idea how these fractures could have been missed, especially the large displaced fracture involving the posterior portion of the left seventh rib. The letter closes, quote, if, as I have been informed, Dr. Harlan or his office has stated that the manner of death in this case is accidental as the result of a 25-day-old infant falling off a 24-inch couch onto a carpeted, padded floor, then I'm appalled. 
If this were in any way true, then no infant would live through infancy. If this line of irrational thinking has been applied to other cases in the state of Tennessee, then God help you and the rest of the citizens of the state of Tennessee. The last thing I'll mention about this case uh, is that Dr. Harlan was umpiring a baseball game at the time he was asked to perform the autopsy on Lachelle Phelps. So his assistant, not a doctor, Stan Carney, went to retrieve the body and he eviscerated the organs. And it's, it's, it seems like it's pretty much assumed, although it can't be proven and nobody outright says it, that he probably did most, if not all, of that autopsy. And I think people probably believe that that's why um, it, he got it so wrong. Um, that's just my speculation from everything I've read about it, so don't take that part as fact. Um, rounding out 1995 for Dr. Harlan, there is one more thing I wanted to mention. This is uh, another homicide that occurred in Clarksville, Tennessee in February, and it's not anything about how the report or the autopsy was done. Um, it's that Dr. Charles Harlan was thought to be at a conference at the time the autopsy was conducted. And it was understood by detectives involved in the case that Dr. Harlan's wife, Dr. Gretel Harlan, who was also an Emmy, would be performing the autopsy. And so they thought that she would be the one doing it on February 17th. And then they got the report and it was signed by Dr. Charles Harlan, which it was indicated that he had performed it, not her. And so they just simply asked him for clarification. And it's my understanding, and I could be wrong, but from what I've read, another, um, another medical examiner can do the autopsy. And then if another person, like if Dr. Harlan looked over it and said, this all looks right and signs off on it, that's acceptable, I think. The problem here was he was being, quote, evasive when they asked him point blank, which one of you did this autopsy? Um, he, I, I don't know why he was being shysty about it, but that's what the issue was. And then they asked a nurse at the hospital, um, and she said, I don't know. He told me he was going to be out of town that week, um, but then he's insisting that he performed it himself. It was just a weird situation and a good indicator of his level of deceit that he was willing to, I mean, he just wasn't, he doesn't seem like a very honest person, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So um, his wife, right, Dr. Gretel Harlan, haven't talked about her yet, but her name might sound familiar, and that's because she has already been mentioned on the show before. Dr. Gretel Harlan helped convict Joyce Watkins and Charlie Dunn of a murder and rape they did not commit. So here's a quote about... Dr. Gretel Harlan's work. Quote, the two court filings detailed extensively how flawed and wrong Dr. Harlan's testimony was. Her reference to histiocytes was incorrect, and her claim to be able to identify the timing of an injury by examining bruises had no basis in science. It goes on, quote, Despite Gretel Harlan's chief assignment to the case, and it being her who testified in front of the jury, the autopsy report indicates Charles Harlan was present, and he himself conducted the autopsy. 
There are numerous references throughout Greta Harlan's testimony referring to what he did or what we did in performing the autopsy. Clearly, the two doctors, Harlan, collaborated in the autopsy and assessment of BB's injuries, the report said. The report noted that since the convictions, Dr. Charles and Dr. Greta Harlan have been the subject of intense investigative scrutiny and disciplinary hearings that yielded truly bizarre and unsettling findings. If you'll recall from that episode I did on Joyce Watkins and Charlie Dunn, at the end, I revealed to you that a tenant renting a home from the Harlans found jars of organs in the laundry room as well as pieces of tissue in a chocolate box. What I have learned since that time is that the renters also found files of violent crime scene photos that were not supposed to be there, uh, blood samples that should have been discarded, and there were a total of 48 violations after being inspected by both the Ohio State Medical Board and the Tennessee Department of Health. So, it was at this point Dr. Gretel Harlan retired her license before having it revoked, which was obviously coming. So, um, this is not Gretel's story today, but I, I figured it was worth mentioning, and there was a tie-in there. Um, so, we'll get back to Dr. Charles Harlan, and this next item is just, it's a doozy. It's a case of mistaken identity, and I'm going to talk about it in part two. Thanks for listening to part one. I would love to hear what you all think so far. Um, when you start putting it all together, it's like, how did this guy make it as long as he did? Um, and I haven't even told you. I mean, we're just halfway through it. So um, let me know what you think. You can always interact on, if you're listening on Spotify, there is like an interactive part of it where you can leave me a comment within the episode. Um, you can always send an email to kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook page. It's Kentucky History and Haunts. We also have a group, Kentucky History and Haunts and more. There's an Instagram at kyhistoryhaunts. And if you want to know more about any episode or you want to get some merch or anything like that, you can go to www.kyhistoryhaunts.com. See you next time.